Let's turn on our Bibles together to Hebrews 12, verses 18 through 29. In this portion of the letter, the writer of Hebrews is wrapping up and tying a bow on the extensive argument he's been making throughout the previous 11 chapters. Let's remember the, the, the setting, the situation that called for the writing of this letter in the first place. The Jewish Christians to whom the writer of this letter is writing, the Jewish Christians were being persecuted for their adherence to the message of Christ. Not only were they being afflicted by their pagan neighbors and co-workers, they were being chided and rejected by their Jewish family members who refused to acknowledge that God's son Jesus has superseded God's former messenger Moses. These difficulties that the Jewish Christians were facing on account of the gospel were pressuring many of them to drift away from the gospel back to their former ways of Judaism. But you mustn't do that, is the refrain of the writer of Hebrews. Over and over and over in this letter, the writer of Hebrews has said, you mustn't do that. Jesus is the radiance of God's glory and the exact imprint of God's nature. And the new covenant that he has mediated between us and God is far superior to the old covenant that Moses once delivered at Mount Sinai. This has been the extensive argument that the writer of Hebrews has repeatedly made. And this is the central point of the verses we're about to read. The new covenant that Jesus has mediated between us and God, it is far superior to the old covenant that Moses had once delivered at Mount Sinai. And as so superior a covenant, it is worthy of a very suitable response. I'd invite you to follow along as I read Hebrews 12, verses 18 through 29. For you have not come to what may be touched, a blazing fire and darkness and gloom and a tempest and the sound of a trumpet and a voice whose words made the hearers beg that no further messages be spoken to them. For they could not endure the order that was given. If even a beast touches the mountain, it shall be stoned. Indeed, so terrifying was the sight that Moses said, I tremble with fear. But you have come to Mount Zion and to the city of the living God, the heavenly Jerusalem, and to innumerable angels in festal gathering and to the assembly of the firstborn who are enrolled in heaven and to God, the judge of all, and to the spirits of the righteous made perfect and to Jesus, the mediator of a new covenant and to the sprinkled blood that speaks a better word than the blood of Abel. See that you do not refuse him who is speaking. For if they did not escape when they refused him who warned from on earth, much less will we escape if we reject him who warns from heaven. 
At that time, his voice shook the earth, but now he has promised, yet once more I will shake not only the earth, but also the heavens. This phrase, yet once more, indicates the removal of things that are shaken, that is, things that have been made, in order that the things that cannot be shaken may remain. Therefore, let us be grateful for receiving a kingdom that cannot be shaken. And thus let us offer to God acceptable worship with reverence and awe, for our God is a consuming fire. This is the word of the Lord. Let's pray. Father, this is your word inspired through the pens of men over some 1,500 years. This is your word that is profitable to us for training, for correction, rebuke. Lord, inform our hearts by your Holy Spirit. Conform us to the likeness of your Son, which we've just read in this passage. Help us to behold the wonders of the covenant that we have in him. And hold us fast to it, Lord, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. In these verses, the writer of Hebrews has just indicated to us, of course, and to his original Jewish Christian audience, that the superior new covenant that Christ has ratified is deserving of a suitable response. And that is the two-part way that we are going to break down this passage and consider it for the remainder of our time. Point number one, what makes the new covenant a superior covenant? It's not a question. We're going to look at what makes the new covenant a superior covenant. And then point number two, we're going to look at what the suitable response should be. What makes the new covenant a superior covenant and what the suitable response should be? Number one, What makes the new superior to the old? Well, the old covenant that God made with Moses and the people of Israel in the presence of the angelic host at Mount Sinai, that covenant was a bilateral covenant, a two-way covenant. If the people of Israel would obey the Ten Commandments and the additional 603 laws that accompanied them, if they would do that, then... God would physically protect and prosper them. But if they did not obey the Mosaic law, God would withhold from them his physical protection and prosperity. Those are the terms. And in Exodus 24, we're told that the people of Israel, they clearly understood these terms and they agreed to these terms. And then, as is the case with each of God's covenants throughout Scripture, A blood sacrifice was then made, an ox was killed, and its blood was sprinkled on the people of Israel. Now, in our passage, the writer of Hebrews is emphasizing how everything about the old covenant screamed, don't get too close to holy God. Keep your distance from its delivery to its terms, the old covenant that these Jewish Christians were desiring to go back to, the first century Jewish Christians to whom 
that the author of this letter is writing. They wanted to go back, and yet everything about the old covenant here screams, don't get too close, keep your distance. Second half of verse 18, the writer of Hebrews recalls how the physical mountain where the old covenant was ratified, Mount Sinai, it burned like a holy hurricane. And verse 19 When God began to communicate the laws that the people of Israel were to obey, they begged in terror that he would stop speaking to them directly and that instead he would speak to them through Moses. The second half of verse 20, if any of them or if any of their animals felt obliged to lay foot on Mount Sinai while the law was being communicated, they were to be put to death immediately. Verse 21, even Moses arguably the most righteous dude among all of them. He trembled with fear at the display, the dreadful display of God's holiness. We need to pick up what the writer of Hebrews is laying down here. Everything about the old covenant screamed, don't get too close. Keep your distance. And a lighthearted way of illustrating this, let's just take a breath for a second, and a lighthearted way of my my family and I once stayed in an Airbnb in California. (laughs) Do you remember this? The contract was so intense, and the list of household rules was so extensive. There was a sign on the door that said, welcome, but it should have said, we're glad you're here, but don't make yourselves at home. In fact, whatever you think you're going to do inside this house, don't do it. Right? I mean, there were cameras in the house. That's illegal, I think. We stayed, nevertheless. (laughs) The, (laughs) The Jewish Christians who were those to receive this letter... They were, they, were, they were drifting back to the old covenant way of relating to God, and yet everything about the old covenant screams, don't get close to me, holy God. Do not touch this or that physical object. Do not eat this or that physical animal. Do not wear this or that physical fabric. Do not do any physical labor on this day. Do not make any offerings anywhere but this physical tent and do not peer behind its physical curtain. We need to notice that the commands of the old covenant deal almost exclusively in the sphere of the physical. And that's because the Holy Spirit hadn't yet been poured out into the hearts of God's people causing them to live spiritually from the inside out. In the first half of verse 20, the the, the writer of Hebrews reminds his Jewish Christian audience that their ancient ancestors couldn't endure the order that was given. And by reminding them of this, I'm saying this with some passion. By reminding them, your ancestors couldn't endure the order. What makes you think you're going to be able to going back underneath something that no longer exists? Time and time again, the ancient Israelites revealed, they they repeatedly failed to keep the law, and it revealed precisely what it had been designed to reveal. We need a sinless Savior 
to fulfill the old covenant and mediate a new and superior covenant. There is no hope for us apart from that. Now that we understand this is what the writer of Hebrews is communicating. The beginning of verse 18 makes a lot more sense. You and I, as new covenant Christians, we've not come to the physical mountain that can be touched. We've not entered the story at Sinai. Thank the Lord Jesus. Verses 22 through 24, we've entered the story at the foot, not of Sinai, but of Zion. That is the spiritual city of the living God, the heavenly Jerusalem, the assembly, the ecclesia, the church of the firstborn. The new covenant is not an extension of, there's a popular wave today telling everybody that this is true. It is not. The new covenant is not an extension of the old covenant, nor is it an addition to or amendment to. The new covenant is the gospel and it stands on its own two feet. And the gospel is this. Hear this. Simply. Acknowledge your sin. And turn from your sin. And entrust yourself to the sinless life. And the atoning death. And the justifying resurrection of Jesus Christ. And you will be saved. Signed. Sealed. Delivered. It is finished. If that is you, if that is you who repentantly acknowledge you're a sinner, disqualified from the inheritance of everlasting life, and yet you believe that Christ, by his merit, his life, death, resurrection, he has qualified you. If that's you, you right now and forevermore are the beneficiary of the new covenant. You're in. And you are unshakingly in. You, you, you are in. You are in. You are a new covenant beneficiary and your name, verse 23, has been irrevocably enrolled in heaven. And soon enough, when heaven is united with a renewed earth, your holy creator God who is to judge the world, he won't say to you, keep your distance. And he's not saying that to you now. Instead, he is saying, son, daughter, call me Abba and come here. Come to me. There is no place on earth that you can't access me. There is no earthly temple, physical place that you must track down and draw near to me through. There are no sacred rituals for you to perform. Verse 24, my son has mediated a superior covenant on your behalf and your once unrighteous soul has been forever sprinkled clean by the blood of his cross. You remember Abel? Do you remember him? Abel's blood cried out in condemnation against the sinner. But the father says, my son's blood cries out with mercy for the sinner. You a sinner? Me too. Mercy. And if this is you... Underneath the mercy blood of Jesus, hear the Father saying to you in the whisper of the Holy Spirit, you're mine. I've summoned you by name. I've moved heaven and earth. I've summoned you by name. You're mine. 
I've shown my love for you in that while you were still headlong running after sin, I sent my son running after you to die and to redeem you. I've summoned you by name. You're mine now. You're mine now. And I have now indwelled you with my Holy Spirit, writing on your hearts my fruit-bearing laws of love and joy and peace when there is no peace and patience when your kids are driving you crazy and kindness and goodness and faithfulness to the word and gentleness and self-control. This is what makes the new covenant so superior. Point number one. Now let's consider point number two, what our suitable response should be. Verse 25, and brother or sister, before I read this, hear this as if the Holy Spirit is saying it to you right now. Do not refuse me. See to it that you do not refuse God who is speaking to you right now. Brothers and sisters, notice, notice that God's voice to you right now in these words His voice is not thundering from within a fiery hurricane atop Mount Sinai. Instead, his voice is whispering to your heart from the pages of his word. Won't you and I listen to his voice? Won't you and I trust and obey what he is saying? For some of you in this room... To trust and to obey could mean this morning, right now, that you need to finally, obediently receive the invitation you've been sensing in your heart for a while now. You need to finally confess with your mouth that Jesus Christ is the risen Lord. You need to receive his unfailing mercy. You need to bow down to his glorious lordship, forsaking your sinful ways and following after him. Be baptized already as a sign of your conversion, as entry into the local assembly of the firstborn. And hopefully, by God's grace, this local assembly of the firstborn will continue to and forever will unashamedly stand upon God's word, even when what he says isn't easy. See to it that you do not refuse God who's speaking to you right now. It could be that you finally need to obediently receive his forgiveness, his freedom, his forever life. But if you are a longtime Christian... Let me now address you. I'm kind of getting into longer time Christianity now. Right? I don't know if the silver, the silvers here gave that away. I'm getting into the longer time, right? For you and me, Christians for a while, the ongoing sins that linger in our lives, they might give even the fairest judge a reason to doubt the legitimacy of the faith, the faith we claim to have. You and I, as long-term Christians, may be just still lingering and squabbling around in the worldliness that even the Ferris judge would look and say, I don't know if you believe what you say you believe. Maybe as a long-time Christian, you are still saying this to myself too, but maybe you 
are still entertaining patterns and habits of sexual immorality. Maybe you're entertaining patterns and habits of greed and, and gossip and gluttony and, 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 and drunkenness and materialism and laziness and fearfulness and inhospitality, inhospitality, insubordination, spiritual neglect of your wife and kids, lack of discipline and lack of evangelistic zeal. Has the Holy Spirit put his finger on any of those that I've just mentioned and the list could go on? Ooh, did something mm, right here. See to it that you don't refuse him who is speaking to you right now. Repent. Tie up your shoes. Take up your mat. And let's get on with putting sin to death. Brothers and sisters, yours and my lingering sins do not define us, nor do they disqualify us from the new covenant blessings, because by God, Christ qualifies those who know they're disqualified. But we mustn't make any bones about it. Yours and my lingering sins... You know the weights and the sins that the writer of Hebrews talked about in the beginning of uh, chapter 12? Those lingering sins, they're draining you and I of strength and evangelical effectiveness. Evangelistic effectiveness. Our lingering sins, yours and mine, are impeding our pace on the good godly race that is ours to run with joy. Once we come to terms with the fact that the things we think we need and want, that fix with pornography or whatever it may be, once we realize that those are actually impeding, they're hindering, they're keeping, they're barring us from true joy, I think it makes it a little bit more of a no-brainer to just get busy fighting it and putting it to death already. I think we... The saints among the city of Worcester ought to be the heart-happiest people in this place. See to it that you do not refuse God who's speaking to you right now. If the ancient Israelites didn't escape when Moses warned them from Sinai, second half of verse 25 through 27, how much less will we escape if we ultimately refuse Christ who's warning us from Zion? You see the logic here. Like a, like a gold miner on the edge of a riverbank, Christ is about to shake the world one more time. Like a gold miner, right, on the edge of a riverbank who's sifting and straining and flushing away all of the debris, so Christ will do this with everyone and everything that doesn't shine with his luster. And so a good question to ask ourselves, where is the luster of Christ in my addiction to pornography? Where is he? Where do I see Jesus shining in my second glances at every woman who walks up and down the street? Where is Jesus' luster in that? Where is the luster of Christ? I picked these things carefully. And I hope that by the Holy Spirit, they sting a little bit. 
where is the luster of Christ in our wasted hours and days and years of vanity and overindulgence and indiscipline and marital sloth and absolutely negligent parenting? The luster of Christ isn't in those things. And so I know firsthand because I'm right here standing before you all, as long as I'm here, I've got a lot of work to do in those areas. Because like a sifter of gold, Jesus is coming back and he's looking for everyone and everything that reflects the radiance of his glory. The yoke of Christ that is portrayed in Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, the law of Christ as articulated by the Apostle Paul and throughout the epistles, it's easy and it's light. It's not burdensome. And unlike the old covenant, it can actually be endured. Because Christ, the fulfiller of the law of Moses, now indwells us by his spirit, producing in us spiritual fruit, willing and working in us that we would will and work for his good pleasure. So even on our best day, we don't get to give ourselves credit as much as I would like to. Wow, you really walked in the fruit of the Spirit today, Chris. Well done. Eh. That's the Spirit of Christ, the hope of glory. And he isn't letting me go. And he's not letting me settle for all of my worldliness and, and, and the lingering patterns and habits of mine. Let us obey his voice today, church. And let us do so with gratitude. 28, verse 28. Let's be grateful. Come on. For by our feeble faith, you and I have received a kingdom that is anything but feeble. All around us, look, let's just, just pause and think about the moment that we're in culturally. All around us, everywhere we look, on the news, on social media, in the political sphere, in the financial sphere, in the investment sphere, all around is sinking sand. Like an hourglass that is on its final minutes, the things that you and I once held dear, the things that we thought were so sturdy, are actually vanishing before our eyes. All around is sinking sand. But that's okay. That's okay. Because on Christ, the solid rock, we stand. That's okay. What gratitude wells up in my heart knowing? What gratitude comes up in my heart? I just want to thank Jesus. When I even meditate on passages like John 6, 39 through 40, where Jesus says this, for this is the will of my Father, that I should lose none of those he's given to me, and I will raise them up on the last day. And here, folks, is the new covenant. For this is the will of my Father, that everyone who looks on the Son and believes in Him will have everlasting life. Period. Amen. And it's His kindness that leads us to repentance. When we hear the good news, uh, don't you in your heart, believer, go, oh my goodness, now I just want to, I want to live for Him. That's the way it should work. That's why we always, always, always gospel one another. Stocks may plummet, banks may close, institutions may fail, but you and I, in Christ, 
with physical, touchable, knowable, huggable, resurrected bodies. Let me say that again because we are going to be all of those things. With our physical, glorified, physical, touchable, knowable, huggable, resurrected selves that is coming. You and I will raise a glass of new wine together around the table of the Lamb. And we will sing out, holy, 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 the earth is full of his glory. And that song that we will sing together with gratitude in that day, that should be the song we're singing right now with gratitude together this day. Second half of verse 28. Let us offer to God acceptable worship with reverence and awe. It's one thing to sing the words of a song. It's another thing when we think and speak and sing and act and relate and serve and steward and give in such a way that says, holy, 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 I am yours, you are mine, holy, holy, holy. Let us offer to God that kind of acceptable worship. I know that Ed is a tremendous guitar player and he's got a beautiful voice and it kind of woos me into singing. But let us be creatures who think and speak and sing and act and relate with one another and serve and steward and give in such a way that cries out, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come. Your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. The new covenant that Jesus has mediated between God and man is far superior to the old that Moses had once delivered, and it deserves a suitable response. And so, brothers and sisters, by the power of the Holy Spirit, in response to the good news of Jesus, let us offer up that suitable response. Amen? I'm going to pray, and then I'm going invite, to invite to the stage uh, a friend of ours, a brother of ours, a member here at Oaks, who's going to introduce communion to us. Let's pray. Father, thank you for your word. Thank you for your son. Thank you for your Holy Spirit. And we ask, Lord, that you would write this word upon our hearts that we would listen to your voice, that we would be conformed to what we see in this text, and that we would offer to you in all of our life acceptable worship, revering you, for you are awesome. And you are a consuming fire, but we will not be burned, those who are brought in under the blood of Jesus Christ. We thank you for Jesus and ask by your Holy Spirit that his message would be implanted into the hearts of those who are here who do not yet believe. Oh, give them belief. And will and work within them to will and work for your good pleasure. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.